That is the uh, president of First Bank and Trust Company in Murfreesboro, Mike Cripps. Mike, good to see you. You as well. Happy New Year, Will. Happy New Year to you. And today we're going to be talking about the banking business and we're going to be talking about prime rates and you know what it takes to start a business, things that we talked about in the last interview we did with Mike. And the thing that I joke with Mike about every time I see him is that uh, of all the interviews I have done, the one I did with you a couple years ago now is over 1,500 listens, um, second only to the interview I did with Ray Stevens. <laughs> so your celebrity is stronger than you might imagine. Well, I don't know about that, but I'm just glad people listen. Well, we're thankful to have you here in the studio. It's a wonderful station. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it's a wonderful station. Continues to be in part because of uh, what First Bank and Trust did a couple years ago to help uh, finance the loan to make it happen. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. And thank you for the business. It's always a two-way street. It is. It is. So uh, Mike Cripps, for those who don't know, was born and raised in Murfreesboro. Yes, sir. And I don't know if it was your first job, but... You have worked at First Bank and Trust Company now in one capacity or the other for how many years? Uh, 43 years. Uh, it wasn't my first job per se because, you know, I worked all the way through high school and college and everything and done everything from pumping gas, which was one of my favorite uh, jobs to have. And a lot of your younger listeners might not know that there used to be full service gas stations. Yes. Where the attendant, which is what I was, would come out and fill your gas, check under your hood, you know, check your oil, your radiator, battery, whatever needed to be done. And then when we had time, we'd put cars on the lift and change oils and tires and everything else. Uh, that's a dinosaur these yes. days. Nobody has a full service, I guess, because of the cost involved. But I jokingly tell my family that I've worked since I was eight years old. I uh, I think I might have told you before, too, well, my first job was at a as a shoeshine boy at a uh, barbershop here in Murfreesboro, no longer around. And I worked for the Southern Illinois for a while. I worked in uh, distribution when I was in college. and uh, Throwing papers? No, we would. I was what was called a shortage route driver. <clears throat> uh, if there's a uh, paper boy or paper girl, uh, say in West Frankfort, Illinois, call into the office and say, I'm five papers short. Well, I grabbed five papers and jumped in a car and drove him to his house in West Frankfurt. Really? And let him deliver. Of course, wherever the Southern Illinois had paper boys, we were likely to go. There was a team of about six or eight of us that did that. It was a lot of fun, too, uh, but it was a lot of time on the road, you know. Well, you get to know Southern Illinois that way. I've learned a lot of the back roads in particular and the mm. shortcuts and everything else between the, the towns that dot Southern Illinois and Jackson County in particular. Uh, it was a lot of fun. You started as a janitor at the bank? Well, I jokingly say that. I was actually <laughs> hired as a teller. Okay. But the first week or two, I uh, assisted one of the VPs at the bank in, in cleaning out uh, vaults and this and that and the other. And we took it to the uh, landfill in those days. And remember, this is back in 1979. And uh, once it was at the landfill and we dumped it out there where they told us to dump it we'd have to sit 15 20 maybe 30 minutes to watch the bulldozer come in and bury it under dirt and uh in those days that that was called uh, security you know if, uh, protecting your privacy by piling dirt on top of the right. documents and whatnot seems kind of archaic now just hearing myself say that but that's the way it was then and then i spent two weeks in bookkeeping and then i started my uh my job as a teller uh which is why i was originally hired to do 
But I also jokingly say that when I became an officer of the bank, I was whatever I was, you know, uh, officer-wise, and I was janitor two weeks out of the year because to save money, I didn't hire a temporary janitor, janitor or nor, nor service. I just do it myself, you know. Yeah. I knew how to run a vacuum cleaner and empty trash cans and shred documents and things like that and dusting. My mother uh, has had three boys. I'm the middle and she had a deal with us that she'd stay out of our rooms uh, when we all lived at home if we cleaned them. Ah. Well, she would expect the cleaning. So I became a world-class duster. There's no dust in my room because mm. my mom wouldn't tolerate it. And, of course, I learned how to run a vacuum cleaner then, too, and everything else, keep things tidy and neat, which is kind of my personality anyway. I like things neat and in order. Yeah. I almost need to see something to remember you know, that I have it. Or that I need to do it, or whatever. So, yeah, I had some good training uh, cleaning at that time. And today, I introduced you as president of First Bank and Trust. Is that your technical title? President and CEO for the past twenty-five years, I think. So, First Bank and Trust Company is different from other banks in what way? Well, the most glaring difference is that we're locally owned, and by local, I mean. Um, the shareholders of our bank, for the most part, live in Murfreesboro. The uh, officers of the bank, uh, the board, all from Murfreesboro, um, with some exceptions, but, uh, you know, most assuredly Jackson County. And the fact that our ownership and our uh, officer staff and most of our employees are from Murfreesboro or surrounding area, that means your decisions get made by your peers, if you will. Yeah. And uh, we have an understanding and knowledge of, uh, of, our, of our customers and the local economy and everything else. Plus, decisions tend to get made quicker than in your larger uh, corporate banks, regional or national banks. So, you know, I think our turnaround on loan approvals is superior to none. And Jackson County's oldest bank? We are, 1889. Oldest bank, Jackson County. One of the things that I always bring up whenever you and I talk in this setting is the fact that the uh, First Bank and Trust of Murfreesboro, even if you're not a customer of that bank, if you are a student or lover of history, you should go in that bank and just look around because the place is almost like the Jackson County Historical Society when you walk in the the number of photos and <clears throat> historical documents that are on the walls. It's unlike anything that I've seen in any other bank I've ever walked into. It's a depository of Murfreesboro and Jackson County history. Yeah, and there's really two things at play here, uh, Will. Number one, I have a degree in history. Uh, I was going to teach and coach, uh, you know, in hopefully Murfreesboro High School. Yeah. It just didn't work out that way. But mostly I got a degree in history because I've always loved history. And uh, my son has a degree in history as well. And the other thing at play is the fact that we are the last home-owned bank in Murfreesboro, so I feel a sense of responsibility of kind of uh, uh, being the curator of Murfreesboro history. So much of what you're referring to, picture-wise, document-wise, that you see hanging on our walls, uh, was donated by this community, uh, by our, our uh, customers or friends or family of those customers. Um, if it's specific to the bank, it most likely came from us. But uh, you're right. I think we do rival the historical society somewhat. You really do. In our collection, we'll say. Yeah, no doubt. So we talked about this the last time you and I discussed the banking business, but let's talk about it again. And that's that when somebody comes into First Bank and Trust and they want a loan 
to start a business. It could be any business. Is there something that is most important? Is it collateral? Is it good credit? Is it just the idea? Is there a formulary where one of those things is more important to the other when considering giving somebody a loan? Well, if it's a startup business, as you've said, there's a number of things that play here as well that we will analyze. And But first and foremost, our lenders uh, are good at counseling people uh, on what needs to be done. Uh, you need to, in your projections, uh, which should be part of a business plan. I love it when, when folks come in to talk to us about a startup, if they've got a pretty extensive business plan and by extensive i don't mean you know 600 pages what i mean is it covers all the bases uh you're going to look at their projected cash flow you're going to uh look at the collateral that would be available of course uh it's incumbent upon being a good banker to make sure those two things happen uh credit history of course is going to play a part in it as well which we also check uh but one of the c's involved in addition to cash flow character and collateral is 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 character uh we are not allowed to lend on character alone per se anymore which is kind of when i started in banking there's still a lot of the uh old guys and they they were gut lenders yeah you know? i mean we were home on then as we've always been so our lenders knew the people uh we knew our customers and we could judge character uh that's really not a, a part of the equation anymore simply because it's been ruled out. Uh, I suppose there were some abuses somewhere, uh, not at our institution, of course. But uh, the emphasis now is on cash flow. In other words, based on your projections, can you afford to make the monthly payments to us on this? Secondly is can we secure this loan uh, with adequate collateral? Uh, because if, it, if it's a collateralized loan, if there's security, uh, that you give us an interest in, of course, you get a, a cheaper rate because sure. it is uh, secured. But in the back of my mind, character means a lot. And uh, we'll be checking your credit history, which will be a little bit of an insight to one's character, as sure. you might expect. Yeah, well, some people can present a good character, but the credit history may tell a different story at times. That's very astute and accurate, by the yeah. way. Yes. And, and the other thing that I thought would be interesting to ask, is there a business that banks or your bank just won't lend money to you want to go into the buggy whip business well we're not we're not you know giving loans for buggy wick ma manufacturers anymore i have a saying that that i that applies to a couple of different situations anything that's illegal or immoral mm -hmm. obviously will not be financed by us i i tell my uh management staff you know, you can ask your employees to do anything except what's illegal and immoral. We right. don't want any part of that. I would hate to rule out businesses per se because as soon as I do, I'll get a nice uh, request for that sort of loan. <laughs> I, I, I'll just say that, you know, uh, margins are pretty thin in uh, restaurant and bar type situations. Sure. Because the markup that the owner of a bar or a restaurant can do, you know, it, it's it's limited. And if a restaurant's costs go up and start squeezing their, their spread or their margin, natural reaction would be to raise prices. And when you raise prices, you know, you tend to uh, 
disinterest the public right. in continuing, uh, you know, patronizing you. So those are awful rough, and and margins are thin to begin with. So well, and rougher now because your entry level employees used to be paid, you know, uh, whatever. When I started out, my first job, I was making. $4.75 an hour was the minimum wage whenever I started at Kroger in 1998. Yep. Uh, now in this state, you know, your entry-level workers assume you get paid $15 an hour. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and now some of that can be offset with automation. Some of the larger chains are able to do more of that, I think. But um, some of your more like startups, like you're talking about, um, maybe don't have the ability to automate and make those adjustments. Well, that's exactly right, and and you hit the nail on the head with with food service or bar service type situations. You're heavy on actual live bodies there working for you, right? I suppose there's some ways that uh, you know you could automate your business, but you're limited because you're going to have a capital investment that you have to to purchase, you know, to to automate your system, and that just you know eliminates local workforce people who who need a job, want a job, willing to do the job. Um, of course, the unique thing about the past few years has been the uh, the uh, pandemic and food service places by and large had to close down. Well, guess what? Their, their staff, they've got to make a living, so they had to go somewhere. Yeah. And they got a job not in the food service industry or whatever, and then restaurants gradually became... Uh, which I'm impressed with restaurant food service type institutions ingenuity on how to remain open without having people in their their establishment. Uh, to me, that's just a good old red, white, and blue American can figure out a way. Yeah. But uh, once they're ready to open full scale, much as they had before the pandemic, their workforce is gone because they got jobs elsewhere. Uh, so they've had to scale back. And, and uh, but I'll say this too, Will. You know, any industry, any uh, business that's heavily reliant on uh, employees, it, it's always going to be like that. That's going to be the, the largest expense that you're going to have. Short of capital, you know, expenditures to buy product or to buy shelves or to buy whatever, buy tables and chairs. Uh, after that's already been established, you know, the highest cost you're going to have is uh, in personnel. And as, and as you, you said, you know, this $15 an hour minimum wage thing has been on my mind in particular for a number of years now because it guides decisions I make nearly every day. Yeah, We had a branch in Carbondale uh, in a leased facility for probably 10 to 12 years, something like that. And our lease came up and the uh, wonderful people that uh, we were leasing from in a strip mall setting in Carbondale, west side, uh, I negotiated a, a very nice renewal, and I was very happy with them. Well, then it's announced, you know, by the governor or state of Illinois, someone, you know, that got this progressive rise to $15 an hour. And I just couldn't substantiate it. You know, you cost that out over over time. You could afford to have one or two employees at a big old branch, and it just didn't work. Right. So... We did not renew, much to the chagrin of the uh, the owners. Uh, I thank them for it. Uh, they were very nice to talk to in negotiation, but, you know, the state of Illinois once again trumped us and made it not profitable to do that. So we took money that would have been allocated at Carbondale Branch, and we're developing these digital products that uh, we can reach anybody in the world with. Sure. And you're not bound but to a brick and mortar, per se. You're bound to a computer server, but, you know, that's about it, and that's just the way of the world anyway. 
And we're bound to take a break here at uh, 22 past, and we'll be back with more conversation with Mike Cripps after this. We're going to talk about prime rates, not uh, to be confused with prime rib. It's 1227. Coming up at 1 o'clock, we'll have Jay Seculo Radio at uh, 2 p.m. Adrian Rogers in Loveworth Finding. In the studio with me today is the president and CEO of First Bank and Trust Company in Murfreesboro, the oldest bank in Jackson County and still locally owned. And I, the, the board of directors of a bank, of First Bank and Trust, uh, what is the relationship between uh, your position and... The board of directors, exactly. As it exists now, of course, I'm, I'm a member of the board as well, okay. as a shareholder. So there are me and six other uh, individuals that uh, I gave them an example that, you know, the direction of the bank or the things I bring before them for approval, you need to endorse 98% of the time. I'm just kind of making that up for to make the point. And if you're constantly voting in the minority, maybe it's not a good fit for you. Yeah. But there's a lot of, uh, we don't have a lot of directors. There's seven of us total, as I said. But we, there's a lot of history there with many of the board members. Uh, as an example, uh, Gene Boss, who just uh, recently passed, was a member of the board of directors. I think I think I had him, I researched it and found out he joined our board in 1981. And... Uh, <clears throat> Upon his passing, uh, he was replaced by design with his son, Danny Bost. Uh, same thing could be said for the uh, Borgsmiller family uh, and Herbert family, uh, same family, who we still have a representative of that family on our board as well. So there's a long history there with a couple of these folks, a long, long tie. The rest of the folks equally uh, as good and dedicated to the bank are local business people. <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, you typically look for somebody, first of all, who's interested and will say yes to joining the board of directors. If it's someone who's actively in business or who has been in business long enough that they, you know, have that business acumen and uh, uh, can give advice, there are expectations from the board of directors for me to manage the bank in an effective, profitable manner. Uh, but the same can be said for the shareholders. Shareholders of the bank expect, you know, profitability in the, for their investment or some sort of return on their investment. And really, the outside directors of the bank, and by outside, I mean they're not employed by the bank. They're simply members of the board of directors, are representatives of all the shareholders, stakeholders of the bank. Uh, to, that's kind of an oversimplification, but to, to make sure that there is a return uh, on their capital investment. We talked about loans in the last segment. Does the board of directors approve in like a consent agenda on a, on loans that are given out, or are they not involved at that detail level? Uh, no, they review every loan. Okay. And they, uh, there's a motion and hopefully a second, and hopefully they all vote for it for all the loans that have been made. Yeah. Um, I jokingly say every, every board meeting, uh, which is once a month, uh, that once the loans are approved, the loan officers can exhale. <laughs> because the board has approved a loan that they made during that prior month. But there's, I've thought about the consent agenda uh, portion, and we, we truly don't have one. Uh, there's an itemized list of everything that we do under what's called uh, operational business and new business uh, that goes forth. And some of the things need uh, to be voted upon. Some are just more uh, informational. 
And we really have an engaged board. I mean, to a person, they ask very good questions. And so it's incumbent upon me to stay on my toes and know my answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the rate that banks charge is based upon the prime rate, which is set by the Federal Reserve, correct? Uh, yes, in effect. When you, when you have these Fed Reserve board meetings and they come out and recommend a, a 25 basis point or 0.25% increase, what they're, they're uh, recommending is the overnight Fed fund rate be raised. The, the, and that's the rate that uh, is applied to money that banks borrow from one another. That is correct. And as you might expect, it's typically the lowest rate and everything builds from that. So at some point, there is a prime rate that is developed by most banks in the country. Um, is there a national prime rate? Not by name, uh, but people tend to follow one another. And so we've seen the uh, primary prime rate, we'll say, increase from, I think, four and a quarter in 2020. I, the beginning of 2022. I did some research this sure. morning before the interview, and on March the 16th, 2020, uh, just right before the pandemic kicked into full gear, the prime rate was 3.25%. There you go. And as of uh, December the 15th, 2022, just a couple of weeks ago, the prime rate was 7.50. Yep. Sounds so about right. you know, doubled or exactly. more than doubled. Exactly. Now, most people want to know why. Well, those who are asking why are typically the ones who are borrowing money. They want to know why their interest rate is going up on borrowed money. Those who uh, are savers, investors, they don't ask many questions because right. they're getting a higher rate of return. That's what I always say with interest rate increases or lowering is, uh, you know, exactly half the people are happy and the other half are not. Uh, it'd be nice if there were some happy medium there. I don't know. But uh, typically what happens is like this most recent omnibus bill right? that was passed by Congress and they agreed to spend, what, tr- how many trillion dollars? Uh, more money than you or I have. Yeah, this is, yeah, most assuredly. <laughs> In fact, if we joined our wallets together, we'd be a little short now, yeah, Will. Yeah. But, you know, the fact of the matter is this was, was, was passed and they don't have that money. No. So what do they have to do? They have to create money. Quantitative of, easing. Yeah, there you go. What Fancy word of saying we're going to create money out of thin air. Right. Well, you know, in, a, in effect, puts more uh, currency or more money into the what's called M1, the total money supply, and devalues every dollar that was already in there and thus creates inflation. And then the Fed fights inflation, they think, by raising interest rates. So it's kind of a vicious circle, if you ask me. But as long as all the politicians get to issue the press releases they want to release, that's all that matters. Mike. That's right, because this bill will deliver the pork to my district. Right. And you should be happy and vote for me again next time. That's right. That's right. But every taxpayer in, the, in this country that uh, has with, you know, taxes withheld to the federal government or pays on uh, April 15th, typically— their taxes, 100% of that goes to, to paying the interest on our national debt. So, therefore, you're thinking, well, you know, we're never going to make any headway on the debt because there's nothing ever applied to the principal. Well, and so it brings me to a question that I have pondered silently in my own mind as I, you know, await the end of the coffee brewing process in the morning. 
What is the meaning of money at this point? It's well, not attached to the gold standard. It's not attached no. to the silver standard. It's not. It, it's just simply the full faith and credit of the United States government. Exactly what I was going to say. The full faith and credit of the United States government. That's what it's backed by. And um, I suppose those those two, uh, I don't know what they are, adverbs are correct, credit and faith. Uh, the United States does have a wonderful, unblemished track record of paying its debts. Okay, there's the credit part. Faith, that's what you and I need to have in the economy. There is nothing propping up our economy except the faith that the American people put in it. Uh, should they, in a majority uh, movement, lose faith in it, um, I frankly don't know what would happen. Well, and that's what was kind of making the whole cryptocurrency thing a little bit scary, because if you begin to create a alternative currency that isn't regulated, that isn't really attached to the federal government in any way, then you could sort of have a economic house divided. And does the faith part in the dollar I mean erode to the point where you have a failure? I don't think that's going to happen now because we've seen what's happened with cryptocurrencies. Right. But it's it's interesting to have watched that whole thing come in and well, sort I, of go. I think it had the potential to replace the dollar i think if it were more widely understood by the american people myself included and had they not had these missteps uh as you see you know with the fdx thing it's a kind way of describing it yeah well i'm trying not to be too political here but uh sometimes i stub my toe on the corner of the uh (laughs) of the bookcase i I that's a misstep but anyway i do think without a doubt i truly believe that we are headed toward digital currencies Anyway, and they'll be heavily regulated by the United States government, obviously, because that will be backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government, whereas the uh, current version of cryptocurrency uh, does not have that. And the New York Fed uh, has been experimenting with digital currencies for several months now. Uh, I mean, there was a public announcement about it uh, back in the summer, I think, which tells me they've been working on it all of last year. Yeah. And they had confidence enough in it to release that to the public that they're experimenting with it. But I think I think that's inevitable that we're going to a digital currency and physical currency will disappear. Mike Cripps is with us in the studio today. It is 1237 p.m. We'll take the second break of the day and we'll come back and we'll continue our conversation right after this. Got to turn my microphone on. It is currently 63 degrees outside on the third day of January, which is uh, even odd for Southern Illinois standards. Uh, Mike Cripps in the studio with us today. We've been talking about the banking business. I can remember in my lifetime, oh gosh, uh, you know, let let me just go back to when I was a kid in DuCoin. You had um, the first state bank of DuCoin. In Murfreesboro, you had City National Bank. Union Planners has been in and out of Murfreesboro over the years. Uh, what other ones am I forgetting, Mike, that have been banks that have come and gone that you can remember? Well, first of all, City National Bank in Murfreesboro, which is now uh, uh, part of the region's chain. Right. Um, 
we've remained the same except the uh, title change in 1980, I think it was, or 81, mm-hmm. where we uh, gave up a national charter to become a state state chartered bank. Uh, there's a number of banks in the area, as, you, as you've alluded to, Will, that uh, once, you know, hometown type ownership banks. Bank of like Carbondale. This. Bank of Carbondale is the most recent example, yes. Uh, anyway, I, whatever their motivations were, it's uh, none of my concern. I hate to see uh, total demise of what's, you know, called the community bank. And there are banks. First Southern's a good example, a wonderful bank. Uh, I'm not sure what their asset size is, but they serve their community. So, I, you know, I consider them a community bank. Yeah. Uh, part of the uh, Bank of Marion, I think, ownership now. But regardless, I still look at them. They've got locations everywhere. But to me, they're still a community bank in the way they conduct their business and their attitude. It's much like ours. So yeah. I'm familiar with it. Uh, well, I bring it up because the question is, why has First Bank and Trust been able to stay locally owned, independent? Because, you know, I talk to other people in the banking industry and they'll say things like First Bank and Trust Company in Murfreesboro's a unicorn. Oh, yes. And I've heard that as well. And maybe we are. I don't know. I think it'd be pretty cool to be a unicorn because yeah. I've never seen one. So. <laughs> you know, but uh, this in our industry, in my career, over four decades, I've seen what's called mergers and acquisitions go up and then down, up and down. In other words, the activity, you know, it seems like everybody's acquiring or being acquired and then nobody is for a while. So it's hard to say exactly why that happens. There was, uh, well, I'll say as far as our ownership goes, in particular, our board of directors, they have no interest in selling at this point. Uh, there was a law, a regulation, gosh, I can't remember really where it came from, may have just been an opinion uh, from one of the regulators, that if a bank were offered a certain amount per share of its stock to be acquired by another institution, the uh, institution does not have to sell based on price alone. In other words, they can uh, factor in their um, uh, unique place in their community and the way they serve that community. Yeah. So that uh, is actually, to me, on the bank of local ownership uh, side, and it's also on the side of, uh, you know, serve your community. So I, I think that's a genuine uh, rule if it if i'm quoting it properly so there probably could be a price point where our board would say yes it just hasn't reached there yet yeah and we have had a number of offers offers to sell throughout the years so those who think they offered a lot of money it probably was but we just hung our hat on the fact that we're locally owned we like it that way and uh, want to stay viable as 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 that uh, but that's not to rule it out in the future. I'd be a fool to do that because there could be a price that we think, well, this acquiring bank is nuts, mm. but we'll take it. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> right. that's just human nature. Of course. So, But that has not occurred yet, and I don't see anything on the horizon that, that's going to occur that would do that. You know, this is not a flattery. It's a fact, and that's that over the last 10 years as mayor of Murfreesboro, there is not a Murfreesboro-based business that gives more back to the community in sponsorships and participation in First Bank and Trust Company. Um, It's astounding. I mean, really, people don't understand the amount of uh, goodwill, the amount of, of money that First Bank and Trust puts back into that community. 
it's incredible, Mike. Well, thank you. I appreciate the recognition for that. Uh, my philosophy is rather simplistic and elementary, you know, but the, the viability of city Murfreesboro is directly dependent upon the First Bank and Trust. But the First Bank and Trust viability is directly dependent on the, the city of Murfreesboro. So it's, it's more like a partnership, and that's why I like to look at all of our, all of our relationships. You know, those people who borrow from us, those people who deposit their, their money there. We have trust services. We have partnerships, I think, with uh, attorneys uh, throughout Southern Illinois because an uh, independent trust department like that's kind of becoming a unicorn, as you said. Yeah. And uh, we're committed to the community. Uh, to do that. So, you know, I think it's always a two-way street. You invite somebody in to be partners with you in a particular project. Uh, so you're going to say, wow, what a wonderful bank that they have that service. And we're going to say, oh, wow, what a wonderful person that needed our service. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I like to look at things in, in terms of partnerships and coexistence. And uh, you need us, Will, but we need you. So I think that it's worth telling the fun story about whenever you brought a million dollars in cash to the bank to be put on display. I think it was maybe $20 bills or something. Yeah, it was 1989. We are selling, the, uh, celebrating, excuse me, the 100th anniversary of our bank. And it was not my idea, but I think it was the president's idea that we should have a million dollars in cash on display in our lobby. The uh, premise or the thesis being that not many people get to see a million dollars in cash. Right. And I agree that that's probably true. And so we had a uh, director at the time by the name of Landis Mills. I don't know if you remember that Landis used to have the Mills catalog showroom. Sure. And he had a jewelry case, you know, the long thing on a, on a base that's all glass. And so you can see it, you know from three different sides yeah and i called i don't know probably one of our correspondent banks that said hey i need a million dollars in cash make it in 20s mm-hmm. had brinks bring it down had brinks uh, bring it in and put it into the case and we had brinks guards stay and guard the money while it was there well our lobby because i guess we did a pretty good job of promoting this you know that it's coming uh, our lobby, it, it was so thick with people, you couldn't stir them with a stick. <laughs> I, I had never seen that before. Uh, and, and the Brinks guards who, you know, are typically stoic yeah. and look like a typical security guard, like, you know, no funny business or, you know, there's a reason why I'm carrying a side piece here and right. things like that. Oh, my gosh, they became celebrities. They were smiling. They were p- taking pictures with babies behind, uh, you know, the glass case with a million dollars in cash in it. So, uh, from that point of view, it was extremely successful. We even handed out uh, uh, pieces of paper that resembled money. Yeah. Although, if there's anybody from Secret Service listing, they were way too big to, <laughs> to, be, to be considered to be, counterfeit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it gave the, uh, the date and, uh, and the fact that they had seen or witnessed this million dollars went over huge. But the problem in creating a large crowd like that through promotion is you might promote uh it to the wrong crowd Mm -hmm. of uh well let's just say bank robbers yeah ne'er do wells you know somebody who who wants to cause you harm uh to their profit so i think our bank closed at four or five in those days and i had brinks ready at three o'clock to get them out of there I did not breathe that day, did, did not exhale mm-hmm. until after 3 o'clock when that cash was gone because I was also the security officer. I'm the one who arranged it at the direction of my boss, keep in mind. But 
I felt extremely responsible that that money be brought down here safely and that it get the heck out of the bank safely <laughs> without incident or robbery. So you're not going to do it again? You know, I've had the opportunity. I had the idea to do it again. And, you know, then I get a moment of clarity and I think, yeah, I don't want to yeah, go through that again. I don't think I want to do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Mike, I got to take the last break of the day and then we'll just about be out of time. So I want to go ahead and say thank you very much for coming up and visiting with me today. Well, you know, it's always my pleasure. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, I enjoy our conversations, and hopefully this one will have uh, the same popularity as the last one. I need the ratings. (laughs) I'm always here to help the ratings, buddy. (laughs) Thank you so very much. (laughs) 